is going to be very tough. But it's also going to be very fun. It's showtime, folks. Breaking down the best four songs. This, this, is Mount Rockmore. I already got your answers. Never, three inches, time daily on a boat, and with my finger. Hola, Rockmore Files. Hola, Rockamorals. Hola, Rockmore Nation. I'm Bauer, your guide on yet another ascent up the mountainside to carve the four career-defining songs of one of, in this case, England's hardest rocking bands, although technically multinational, if you will. Check us out at your home for this weekly venture up Mount Rockmore, thebowershow.com. We've tackled Motley Crue and Def Leppard. Poison is there. Sammy Hagar, Pat Benatar, the very first one. And as you know, it seems, big stadium tours are so 2020. Clearly, powerhouse bands combining to create a huge tour is all the talk of 2020, and today's artist, no different. Just announced last week by the focus of our second Rockmore podcast, the Red Rocker, Sammy Hagar. Sammy and his band, The Circle, will be headlining on tour this summer with uh, another Bay Area favorite and future Rockmore-focused Night Ranger, and arguably one of the most dominant rock icons of the 80s, this week's focus... White Snake. Now, to be fair, I feel like this band has had so many personnel changes, it's tough to keep track of why and where. It's like trying to keep track of the Yankees lineup from season to season. I am personally unclear of what happened to David Coverdale and the 13 other inceptions of White Snake. But one thing is certain while you might know names like Rudy Sarzo, uh, Steve Vai, Adrian Vandenberg, Vivian Campbell, and Tommy Aldridge. The songs that they performed, the glossy, I guess, current White Snake, which I think Reb Beach is a part of from Winger Fame. That White Snake, this White Snake, relied heavily on two songs recycled from the old days of White Snake, where they were never even involved in the songwriting in order for this White Snake to become as popular as they are today. And that's going to be a tough journey to pick only four songs from a band that has been recording music for 40 years. But that's what we do here at Mount Rockmore. Now, sometimes it just ain't possible to cover only four songs from such a prolific rock act, especially when you grew up playing these songs on a half stack in your mom's garage. This is where we get to play an extra track. It's like... um. It's like that little unknown college basketball program in Missouri that no one's ever heard of making their way into the NCAA tournament. It's play-in time here at Mount Rockmore. Want you to carb load, make sure your oxygen tanks are filled because we're almost ready to begin the climb. Never let it be said that Whitesnake was ever subtle. Never let it be said that Whitesnake was subdued or that their songs had hidden meanings as exemplified in our play-in track. It's the title track of White Snake's 1984 album, after the band had such extreme success with 1987's White Snake album, this album was re-released in 1988. Interestingly, the UK release of the album, when compared to the US release of the album, sound very different as the two different mixes were used throughout those releases. The play in here today on the Mount Rushmore of White Snake 
It's Coverdale slapping you across the face or the vagina with Slide It In on Mount Rockmore. in here on Mount Rockmore. This, for me, this is the part where we get to the walk of shame element of the podcast. This is, we're about to start. I'm nervous. I'm, I'm really starting to question the choices that I have here in front of me with, you know, this sheet of paper having my picks, but then literally this one and this one here having just ideas on it for songs that should be played or could be played. And they're chock full. So, I say we just move forward, cross our fingers, hope for the best. Picking the Mount Rushmore White Snake songs is challenging at best. So lace up. We are heading up the face of Mount Rockmore. And our first song ripe for the carving was David Coverdale and White Snake at their 
I'm going to say it, Led Zeppelin finest? Like, they're nobody's fault but mine, black dog kind of best. As with all the songs on this list, this song is arguably the best White Snake song ever released. The song was the opening track to that White Snake self-entitled album in 1987 that has the dual distinction moment of being the moment where a rock band finally reaches its full commercial promise and then assures its own rapid demise. This is the true highlight of the album, reworking an old demo by Coverdale and Richie Blackmore from the Deep Purple days a decade earlier. The first song on the Mount Rockmore of Whitesnake that we carve into the face is Still of the Night. Here on Mount Rockmore, Whitesnake Edition.
White Snake, Still of the Night. The very first song we carved into the face of the Mount Rushmore of White Snake songs. We got three more of those to go. Now, if you go back and listen to the demos, you'll hear that version more crisper, updated, harder driving tones, Coverdale's vocal call and response to the riffs. It's very page and plant-esque. And you got the bow in there, too, that Adrian Vandenberg and Steve Vai used live performances there. That freaked me out. I was a junior in high school, going into my senior year of high school, going, what do you mean he's using a bow on an electric guitar? I mean, Jimmy Page had done it before, but I hadn't really seen it growing up. And then, of course, then that escalated, and you had to do bigger, badder-ass things. Eventually, Eddie Van Halen with, like, a jackhammer. I mean, it was a drill, but eventually, I think somebody's used a jackhammer on their guitar now. On the way, the first of the two retread White Snake songs to make their way on to the Mount Rushmore of White Snake songs. Coming up here on Mount Rockmore. Is your muffler dragging, smoking, or just plain deteriorating? Hi, I'm Gus, and this is Gus's Muffler Shop, and we're here to help you with all your muffler needs. It's our grand opening downtown, and we have plenty of specials for you. You see, we here at Gus's would like to thank you ahead of time for your business, but we want to do more than just thank you. You see, we know that, well, because being men, we are limited to a firm handshake and a two-minute discussion about the Bulls in the playoffs. Gus's wants to thank you by gently caressing your strong yet weary body with strawberry bath oil, massaging your week-to-week problems away. We want to take you to an adorable little chalet in the hills of Connecticut and enjoy man-to-man love while Michael Bolton sings in all of his splendor. We want to peel grapes and feed them to you while we watch Barbara Streisand movies and cry in each other's arms. See, we love you, your business, and your brand new muffler at Gus's. We're a little naked slow dancing and a little bondage is our way of saying thanks, sport. Gus's Mufflers, opening soon downtown. Confidence. Confidence. Sensual. I'm Alex Rodriguez. I'm the best player in baseball, so I need a scent to match. Douche poser. Douche poser. Is a blend of sandalwood, teak, Kabbalah water, just a hint of Prima Boland, to give you that secret sense of manly pride. Smaller balls. But don't just take my word for it. Take it from these satisfied A-Rod dingers. Alex smelled like so good both nights I spent with him. His musk was like so intoxicating I hardly even noticed his wedding ring. <laughs> oh, gotta go take my clothes off now. <laughs> Bang, stripper. I loved Alex's scent so much, I married him. And then a month after fainting at our second daughter's birth, he was f***ing Madonna. But the extra steroids got Alex over 500 million in contracts and endorsements, and me, 250 million of it. Thanks, douche poser. Expensive. Scent is a mystery, but it makes me feel shiny and new. Even my teammates love it. I always know where Alex is. I can smell him when he's over at the three-way mirror fixing his hair. That way, I don't have to talk to him when I slip out to the club and nail models and singers who didn't get famous in the Reagan era. Hell, they weren't even born then. GPS. Douche poser. It's a home run. Home run. Seriously? You want me to I gotta say that? Just like that home run. God, what a douche. Douche Poser is available at fine retailers everywhere and over-the-counter in the Dominican Republic. Great 
breaking down the best four songs. This, this is Mel You are a blinding, brilliant light from heaven. Nope, that's just the top of Mount Rockmore, friends. Welcome back to the Mount Rockmore podcast. Like what we're doing here? Sweet. Check out our website at thebowershow.com. That's the home of Mount Rockmore. And follow us on Twitter at M-T-R-O-C-K-M-O-R-E. Tell your rocker friends, suggest some bands you want to subject to the high altitude and low show quality of Mount Rockmore right there at M-T-R-O-C-K-M-O-R-E. Now, I must say, <clears throat> thinking about these being rebirth songs, it, it brings a question to your mind when you're thinking about White Snake songs, but still viable, top notch, and some of the most popular White Snake songs that the U.S. had heard. But 1987 saw the first rebirth of an old school White Snake song. In that glossy new White Snake self titled album, that new band where you threw out John Sykes, but you brought in Adrian Vandenberg. That glossy white snake relied heavily on two songs recycled from the old days to launch their career. This one was the second remake from Saints and Sinners. That was an old white snake album, co-written by White Snake's then guitarist Bernie Marston. It became a number one hit for the band in America, and the peak of their commercial appeal was also the point at which some think the band truly jumped the shark, as the song was recorded yet another time for a watered-down radio mix version which took away absolutely any edge left on the original composition from song number two on the Mount Rushmore of Whitesnake songs. Whitesnakes, here I go again on Mount Rockmore. Yes. 
And that is the radio version, the radio-friendly version. That's the version because it was a number one song in 1987. Went to number one on the Billboard Hot 100. You will still hear that song played on top 40 stations across this country. It's still out there. And really, the only question at that point in 1987... And the popularity of Here I Go Again, was it more popular as a video or on the record? You could track sales, but tracking video views outside of Nielsen ratings was next to impossible. The song reached number one in 1987, but any kid, any guy growing up in the 1980s will never forget the images of Tawny Katane rolling all over the hood of the Jaguar in the video. The appearances of Tawny Katane in the mid-80s in White Snake videos went a long, long way and helping Whitesnake achieve their popularity during MTV's glory days. It went a long, long way for my spank bank as well. To this very day, I might add. Thank you. Oh, like it's not in your spank bank still. Onward we go. Trudging forward. The air's getting a little bit thinner the higher up we go here. And into the second retread of a Whitesnake song. Now... When Slip of the Tongue arrived in stores November 18, 1989, Whitesnake's career had never been so healthy. Recent platinum sales, smash hits, sold-out tours, but still a lot of soap opera behind the scenes. Too exhausting but, reward, too exhausting but rewarding years after the debut of Whitesnake's uh, self-entitled album, the Whitesnake League of Nations lineup, which was David Coverdale, because he's British, Adrian Vandenberg, who was Dutch, Vivian Campbell was Irish, Rudy Sarzo, Cuban, Aldridge was American. They were all set to record Slip of the Tongue until Coverdale and Vivian Campbell had a falling out, and then Adrian Vandenberg broke his wrist. And suddenly Whitesnake were down guitarists. Emergency call, placed to Steve Vai, who was up for the gig. He just quit his job with David Lee Roth's band. But how was it going to go for David Coverdale? And, and Adrian Vandenberg and Steve Vai. Coverdale says this song, originally on Ready and Willing back in 1980, the original White Snake album, Ready and Willing, was written for B.B. King. Then Coverdale imagined it a hit for Tina Turner until, at that time, John Sykes started adding his music and magic to the song. Add all-star guitarists Adrian Vandenberg and Steve Vai some years later, and Steve Vai and Adrian Vandenberg give you song number three, on the Mount Rushmore of White Snake songs, the one that I love to play in my mom's garage through my half stack at full volume, just to piss off the neighbors. Fool for your loving on Mount Rockmore.
It's the White Snake, Mount Rockmore. If not for David Geffen, that might have been a Tina Turner track you're listening to right there. And the rest, they say, is history. Now, if you look to your left here, while we've got one song left to go, you'll you'll see the remnants of red hair from, and by the way, lingerie from Tawny Katane's career highlight of starring in the Is This Love video. And that song couldn't make it up the face, nor could the pile of bones to the right, known as The Deeper the Love, a shambles in what we refer to as Power Ballad Gully. But the fourth and final song is on the way. White Snake, Mount Rockmore, continues next. This is a clearly, clearly not metrosexual moment, moment in history. Andre the Giant. A man was born in a small farm town in France on May 19th, 1946. Andre Rusimov came out of the womb as a full-grown man. That might be a bit of an exaggeration, but by age of 18, he was indeed over 7 feet tall and weighed over 300 pounds. Soon he became one of the most intimidating fighters of our time. Eventually, he got up to 7 foot 5, 500 pounds. If you saw him on the street today, you would would be shocked because he's no longer alive. But he was a true man. He never would have fit into girly leather pants or a fuzzy little scarf with cute patterns on it. He used scars for tube socks and pool covers as condoms. Andre the Giant only lost matches when he felt like losing. He only talked to people he felt like talking to. And he never, ever ordered his latte with soy milk. Here's to you, Giant. You're no metrosexual. When you used the word metro, you were talking about the subway. And you were on the subway because you couldn't fit in a car. This has been and Lee Camp. For more funny crap, check out LeeCamp.net and SharkBaby.com. Fans of professional wrestling have long been seen as some of the most devoted and passionate in the sports world. But a new book reveals a shocking secret. The so-called fans are, in fact, choreographed, paid performers. And we are joined now from Raleigh, North Carolina, by the author of Faked. My life as a professional wrestling fan, Craig Thompson. Mr. Thompson, this is a very controversial book. What made you decide to pull back the curtain now? Uh, I want people to know that the fans in the audience are, you know, amazing at their craft of acting. Well, tell me something. Is there a script? We have all the basic beats planned ahead of time. We know in advance who we're going to be booing, what wrestlers the women are going to flash. It sounds exhausting. It's, it's very hard to be able to uh, cheer for something as ridiculous and as absurd as costumed, you know, bodybuilders flailing around and, you know, uh, shouting ridiculous and poorly written insults. Uh, you have to have a, a real endurance and a real commitment. I see. Are you actually a fan of the sport or would you not be doing this if you weren't being paid? No, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the sport. I, I don't think anybody over the age of 15 is a fan of the sport. You know, without us cheering uh, and going crazy, it would be very hard for anyone to see the event as an actual sporting event. Right. Let me ask you, is this a full-time job for you? Oh, yeah, ab absolutely it is. What we have to do is maintain a constant focus on lack of physical fitness. Uh, I have to have a bedraggled appearance. We have what's called the convenience store diet amongst the pro-fan community. A lot of us uh, mostly subsist on, you know, chips and soda. Uh, your book also reveals in one of its chapters the so-called tricks of the trade. Do you want to tell us about any of those? Yeah, absolutely. One of them was called the soda jump and drench, where I would jump up and flip my 32-ounce uh, jumbo soda in the air with my knee. I've seen that. Sending the Mountain Dew contents all over the entire aisle in the, in the stands. Uh, it's a very complicated move. The number of your fellow performers are not very happy about your exposing this secret. I've gotten a couple of calls uh, from, from other fans telling me that I'm going to be, you know, they're going to burn my face uh, more severely than Kane's face was burned by his brother, The Undertaker, mm. uh, which is pretty terrifying. I would have to 
wear a mask for the rest of my life if that happened. So then what is your next step? Well, I'm thinking about taking on something new, uh, perhaps becoming a professional golf fan. Breaking down the best four songs. This, this is Mount Rockmore. I cannot believe that I'm actually thinking about blanking your blank. Well, you can think about it. Just don't be reaching out. All right, welcome back to Mount Rockmore. It is the Mount Rushmore of Whitesnake songs today, and we're down to our last spot. Now, Whitesnake will be joining Sammy Hagar and The Circle as well as Night Ranger for a big tour this summer. Details at redrocker.com. I'm sure they're at the Whitesnake website as well. And as we slowly approach your fourth and final career-defining song, this is where the nerves really kick in because you're like, what did I do? What did I choose? Did I make the right move? I mean, this is a career-defining song being faced in the carve of a mountain here for Mount Rockmore. Now, this song, (laughs) this is why... I'm hesitant here right now. This song only reached number 22 in the U.S. That's the highest it went in 1988. But in my leather-clad heart, with spikes on the wristband, it's still number one. Music video was also made for the song, and it had the lowest budget out of all the Whitesnake music videos. <laughs> this music video starts with the band flying to a venue and then arriving backstage. The rest of the video shows the band performing the song on a concert stage at the Meadowlands Arena in New Jersey during their 1987 U.S. tour. The video differs greatly from others for Whitesnake as it doesn't feature Tawny Katane anywhere. And your final spot on the White Snake Mount Rockmore. One of my, nope, nope, scratch that, my all time favorite White Snake song. On Mount Rockmore, you gotta have Give Me All Your Love from White Snake. The Mount Rushmore of White Snake songs here on Mount Rockmore.
you have it. The four career-defining songs. And what a good goddamn song that is. Par for the course for Whitesnake. Again, another re-recording, another re-release of that song in 1998 with Vivian Campbell doing the guitar solo called Give Me All Your Love 88 Mix. That was the mix that was heard in the music video. But listen, for a band that in 1987, the album turned them into a band as a household name, and the record would go on to sell 8 million copies. Whitesnake, never really able to repeat that commercial success again. But they're back for a big, gigantic tour with Sammy Hagar and Night Ranger this summer. So what do you think of my picks? You like them? You hate them? You think you could do better? Cool. Tweet us at M-T-R-O-C-K-M-O-R-E, at Mount Rockmore, and let me know. I may need you to help me co-host some upcoming Rockmores. Now, if somebody knows... How to find Tawny Katane any place? Tell her about this podcast. Hell, tell Rudy Sarzo, tell Adrian Vandenberg, tell Steve Vai, tell John Sykes, tell everyone you know about this podcast. Subscribe, give us a good review, and we'll be here for you and your sexy, rolling over every Jaguar ear holes we could find any place. The Jaguars, I mean. I'm Bauer. Thanks for hanging out with me. See ya. Still